Hey there, welcome to episode number eight of The Courage Cast. I'm Andrea Christ, and today I'm talking to award-winning Canadian jazz pianist and vocalist, Lila Bialy, about how her sense of call has been paramount at staying the course. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share real stories of influential women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, Andrea Crisp, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hey friends, this episode is brought to you by something that is near and dear to my heart. It's my passion to empower women to live more bravely. If you're feeling uncertain about how to move forward in your life and you're ready to reignite your confidence, then Breakthrough Coaching is for you. Let's set up a time to chat so that you can get clarity on what is really holding you back. You can connect with me at andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. Well, I am so excited for you to hear my guest today. She can captivate you with the smooth tones of her voice, Having garnered worldwide recognition for her music, she has performed at such prestigious venues as Carnegie Hall. She has also toured with Grammy Award winners Chris Bodie, Paula Cole, Suzanne Vega, and recorded with international icon Sting. Her studio recording, Tracing Light, received a Juno nomination in 2011 for Best Vocal Jazz Album of the Year. She is warm and delightful, both personally and professionally. Here today on The Courage Cast, is the inimitable Lila Bialy. So Lila, I am thrilled, honored actually, that you have agreed to be part of the podcast today. You are actually going to be one of the first guests that I have on the show. And really from the moment I met you, which is probably several years ago, I felt an instant connection that I don't really feel with a lot of people. And it's like, you know, when you meet a kindred spirit, well, it doesn't matter if you know them or not, because you just know that they're a wonderful human. And that's you. You're just a wonderful human, an amazing artist, a mom and a wife. So thank you so, so much for agreeing to do this. It's my pleasure. That's quite the intro. (laughs) But that's very, very lovely to hear. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Well, I don't know if you remember the very first time we met, but it was actually at a concert that you were doing in the home of a couple here in Toronto. And I had been invited. I believe it might have been a fundraiser. And I remember just watching you play with a three-piece band that you brought. And um, as soon as you started singing, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is otherworldly. Like your voice is absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm a pretty tough critic when it comes to singers because I am one myself. But I was like, man, her voice is so beautiful. And I started listening to your albums, which are so energizing and uplifting. You have got such a beautiful talent. Thank you. That's again, your your words are your words are uplifting, and that those are very meaningful things that you're saying. I mean, to to yeah, the the fact that um, and you know this as a singer that we can actually have an impact on how people are feeling. I mean, it's really it's a privilege, right? Absolutely. When did you know that it was something that you wanted to do? Like, when did you decide that you wanted to become a singer songwriter? Wow. Well, um, my love of music reaches back to when I was a little girl, you know, our parents, and we know this now as parents also, 
um, are very involved in helping carve out the early steps on, on the path. Mm-hmm. And so when I was three and a half, my mom said that I climbed up onto the piano bench and started plucking out the melody for Sesame Street. So she just put me in piano lessons um, because I showed interest. And um, I became passionate about music and at that time, more specifically classical, um, classical piano um, at a very young age. And I think, I think that, you know, it started off with me recognizing the joy and delight I gained from listening to music and experiencing music and playing music. And I think I, again, from a pretty young age, had the sense that others could be invited into this experience. Mm -hmm. And so rather than it being an isolated thing, it was a point of connection, which for me is, I would say, the goal in all things. So it's to connect. It's to connect with other people, with one another. Um, I mean, (laughs) in terms of life's big questions, I really feel like that's really, it's just one of the primary reasons we're here, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's also one of the primary ways in which we're able to cope and survive in this crazy world. So I think, you know, I think there was a sense of something bigger at play, pardon the pun, in the music. And, um, but then, uh, you know, I became interested in all sorts of other things as I went to elementary school and high school, um, including, you know, everything from sports and theater to sciences. I really loved sciences. And my sister, Susan, I have three older sisters and Susan's the oldest girl. Um, and she went to school, uh, to become actually an ER surgeon. So she initially went for sciences and then she, you know, got into med school and then she was furthering that. And because she's nine years older than I, you know, as I was watching her on her path, I, became intrigued and, and, and drawn towards science as well. So um, at one point there was sort of this, you know, weighing of, of things and not knowing which direction I would go in. And actually my relationship with music became complex in my um, mid-teen years because I was injured in a car accident. Oh, wow. You know, as an aspiring classical pianist still at the time, um, we were rear-ended on a highway um, going to the driving from Vancouver where I grew up to um, Seattle and we were rear-ended on the highway and I had really severe whiplash and something happened to my shoulder and it would the pain would travel down my arm and I became sort of incapacitated as a piano player like I couldn't play the way that I had worked so hard to be able to play technically and suddenly it just felt my whole world kind of came crashing in, um, you know, sort of dashing those dreams of becoming a, a concert pianist. Um, and so that sort of interwove with um, watching my sister, you know, enter the world of sciences um, and, 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 you know, moving towards a career in medicine, which was another way of kind of helping people and contributing. And, and because I liked sciences as well, um, that was actually what I ended up applying to university for. Oh, okay. And I got a scholarship for sciences. So here I was with an injured arm. I basically decided that it was not, it couldn't be music anymore. And then somehow in the mix of somewhere in the middle of all that, um, I was introduced to jazz. Um, 
And so uh, it, it was my high school band teacher um, in North Vancouver who said, you know, um, I would like you to come play in the jazz band. And I said, well, I can't really play with both hands. So I was playing with mostly my left hand and just kind of being exposed to jazz. But my relationship with jazz was very, very complex because um, of the pain I was still experiencing in my arm and, and you know, the grief over losing what I saw as a, a prospective career in classical music. Um, so when I actually graduated from high school, I was, I was going to go to UBC and pursue sciences and become either a psychologist or like my sister, a doctor. Um, but I was offered a scholarship. We, we played at a music festival. Uh, our band played in a music festival and I was offered a scholarship to go to Humber College for jazz. And I don't know, it's so funny because maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes the biggest, some of the most impactful decisions we make are made on a whim. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's so funny because you'd think, oh, there I was at a major crossroads and I had to choose between a career in music and a career in sciences. And it just wasn't that. It was like, oh, my friends, two of my girlfriends have been offered scholarships to Humber College as well. And I was like, that sounds neat. Toronto sounds fun. I think I want to leave the nest. You know, I don't, I don't want to be living with my parents anymore. Mm -hmm. Sounded exciting. And so I went, oh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go to Humber College for a year you know, uh, and study jazz. And, uh, and because I had the injured arm, um, the, the director of music at the time, Brian Willis said, well, we'll take you however we can get you. So, um, you know, that's how I ended up actually exploring singing and arranging and writing. Wow. So that was sort of the silver lining of, of the injury was that it, it uh, because I did choose to go and try music on, at least the plan was to do that for, for a year. Um, but I didn't have full use of my right arm still. I, uh, it, it forced me to explore um, other aspects of uh, the creative, right? And creative expression. Yeah. Which now are very important in terms of what I, what I do professionally. It's interesting because, as you said, like being a teenager, you have this clear trajectory at that point. And then having that almost taken away, especially when you had your sights set on something and then you kind of wove your story through, like, I was like, wow, it almost allowed you the creativity and the capacity to grow in areas that maybe you would have never really explored. Absolutely. That's amazing to me because so often I hear people say that they are willing to give up or give in at the first sign of any obstacle or crisis. And at such a young age, you were, you had the fortitude to actually push past that, which I think is amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear you put it that way because I, I was quite riddled with, with fear and still have to contend with that all the time. You know, the judges, the inner judges, the external judges. For me, there was, I think, a lot of fear, especially as I moved into jazz, but, but there was an invitation there. And so I think that, you know, in life, we're always, no matter how successful we are at something, there are always going to be those who are encouraging us and, and also, um, aff like affirming us. Yeah. 
Um, and then there are going to be those things, whether people or circumstances that discourage us um, or sort of stand in the way as obstacles. And so, you know, it sounds, it can sound kind of trite, but you have a choice. You always have a choice. Am I going to focus on, you know, the, the critical voices, the condemning voices, um, or am I going to, am I going to go with those who, the, the invitation, the encouragement, the affirmation. And so there was enough inv- invitation and affirmation for me to kind of grab hold of um, that I was able to press onwards. And because, you know, I do, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a Christian. Um, I would say that that sense of call um, has been paramount in enabling me to overcome those fears. The judging voices have never left. I mean, in every corner of my life, from motherhood to, you know, my appearance to how I am performing as as an artist and, you know... um, the, the judges, the judgment and the judges and the critical voices are, are there and they're very real. So, um, how do you deal with that? I know for myself, I'm a, well, I have a very negative inner critical voice, which not everyone knows unless you really know me and I talk about it, but how, how do you overcome that? Like, what are things that you've had to put into place for yourself to push past that inner critical judgmental or even maybe something that's been said or spoken how how do you do that well i think the first thing is sort of discerning and divining you know what it is you are drawn to want to be doing what you want to accomplish and you have to separate out like i think you know especially in this day and age, well, actually it's kind of been just kind of changing now, but when I was growing up, um, and it's still there, you know, you, you want to like impress your parents and you want to impress the authority figures in your life. Um, at least I was that kind of kid. I guess some people, for some people, it's the opposite. They sort of flout, (laughs) you know, the authority figures and, and, um, and for them, it's all about rebellion. But for me, it was very much about pleasing people. Mm-hmm. and pleasing my parents and pleasing my teachers and and um while there's i guess something good in that it's it's it make it can make it difficult to to really hone in on what it is that you actually want to do yeah. and what it is that you actually love so i think that's step 1 is you determine what that is because when you when you you know are able to just find that and focus on it, um, I think it gives you something to hold on to. There's an anchor anchor there that's mm-hmm. not just superficial because the motivation is very pure and authentic. Yeah. So I think that's step one. And then once you know what that is, and actually let me say for a second, if you, if you don't know what that, if, if you're having a hard time discerning what that is, you know, I do think that some external input from people who you really trust and who you feel really know you can be valuable. So um, there have been times, actually very recently, just the other day, I was feeling a little lost. And I called up my friend, a fellow artist who, she's not a musician, she's a photographer, but I just was saying to her, you know, I, I can't, I'm trying to like, (laughs) 
connect with why I'm doing this. Why am Mm -hmm. I doing this? What's the purpose? What's the value? You know, and I sort of needed her to help um, bring me back to that, to that place, to that focus. Um, Anyway, so I think that sometimes that's where an external, external input can be, can be helpful. But anyway, once you've determined what that focus is, um, when the obstacles arise, it's almost like that thing about, you know, your eyes being set on the finish line or the course before you or the light at the end of the tunnel. There's all these kind of uh, cliches we use, but it really is true. Like they sort of paint pictures of the kind of focus you need um, to navigate, you know, choppier waters and, and, and challenges, which inevitably arise. But when you, when you have um, the long view, that sense of where you're going and where you want to go, I think it does help propel us forward and not in a way that's flailing, but in a way that's, um, you know, kind of rooted. But then I also feel like we have to give ourselves permission to veer off course and to not be afraid of that. We will stumble. We will err. We will be set back at times. But, um, you know, I think, again, it's, it's so hard to avoid the cliches, but it, it's kind of, it's all part of the journey. And if you know what it is that you need to do to bring, I guess what we call perspective back into the picture, do that. So if you're struggling and you feel like you're getting pulled under or you feel at sea or a little lost, it's like, you know, I, I think we all learn what it is that helps us to find the things that help us to, to, to gain perspective and get back on course. So it may be, again, just people who are touch points, people who we go and connect with, who we trust, who can help steer the ship um, back on course. Or it might be, you know, maybe you need a little break or something. And I guess the other thing too is, is uh, you know, if if there's something that seems to really be standing in the way or holding one back. Um, If it's external, (laughs) you know, you may have to sort of get practical for a second and say, okay, well, how do I deal with this thing? Because, you know, it's not like you can just make everything disappear by the strength of your own will and your own mind. I mean, when, when things happen in our lives, um, you know, um, that, that impact us and, and the dreams we have and the, and what we, what we long to do, they are very real factors we have to contend with. Um, so, so sometimes you, you have to really think practically and look practically at how you're going to deal with, you know, these things in the context of, of, um, where you want to go. Um, but if it's an internal thing, then, you know, and this is in a way what sounds like your podcast is about, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, you may have to kind of go deep with it and really look at what the source of that is. Um, so just as an example, I'm trying to think of a good example for me, you know, um, I guess for me as a musician, there's this, it's, it's, how people respond to my music. So I'm, I'm very easily impacted by 
whether people are responding favorably or negatively to my music. And mm-hmm. it can be so big for me that it can be enough to make me want to quit. If yeah. I get a really bad review. Um, and so I've been having to work on that even keel where it's like the praise, the affirmation, all the positive stuff is wonderful. And it's good to allow that to penetrate us on some level and to affirm us. But if you're overly elated by the good stuff, then you're bound to be cast down by the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like working on that even keel has been really critical for me. And then, and then when the negative stuff really does bring you down, like I said, and for me, a bad review or somebody says they don't like me as a musician or someone writes a silly comment on YouTube. I think of, well, what is my goal? You know, it is to connect with people. So am I still connecting with people? And I'll use one more example. So I played a show opening for Chris Bodie. He's a, uh, quite a famous jazz trumpeter. I was opening for him in, in, across Canada. This was a big deal for me. I was in my mid-20s, kind of my first sort of big touring opportunity. And, um, and I was opening for him and I played this show all by myself, no band, very, very scary for me. And, um, and how I came to, to, to do that, to do that, how I decided I would just play and sing solo was, you know, for me as simple as prayer, prayer, praying about it. Is this how I should do it? And that was, uh, that is an important tool for me when I make decisions, um, meditating, reflecting, praying. Um, so I had made the decision. There I was. I played the show, and um, the audience responded okay. But we were on the break. I was the opening act, so we were on the break, and I was out at a table selling CDs, and there was a gal there helping me. And literally, no one came to my table, and I was sitting there, and I felt so embarrassed and um humiliated and you know sort of was experiencing a a little a crisis of of direction and am i doing the right thing i mean if nobody liked what they heard why am i even doing this Mm -hmm. and then this one woman came up to the table and she was quite effusive and she said oh my gosh that was amazing and she was very moved Mm -hmm. and on the one hand it was like okay wow, that's really nice. Okay. That, that helps buoy my spirits. But what was most important was that it reminded me that, you know, okay, one person, what I did connected with one person in the audience tonight, at least that I know of now. And that's relevant. That's valuable. Um, it doesn't necessarily make a career, mm-hmm. but that, that sort of thing, like just knowing that what you're doing is connecting with somebody, I think is what really does bring meaning to the work. And it's that meaning, again, to return to the original question that propels us forward. And then as a side note, uh, shortly after she left, Chris's uh, tour manager came up to the table and said, Chris wants you to replace his singer, which totally freaked me out and shocked me. Funnily enough, Andrea, I got a, a pretty poor review of the yeah. concert. So it just goes to show that, you know, again, there are, so, there's always a, you know, variety of responses to what you're doing. But if in the depths of your being, if you know that you're, you're on your path and, and you stay 
you know, and, and you remain authentic within that, um, then I, I feel like you, you're equipped to overcome all sorts of things. So like going along that same line, what message do you want to share with your audience? Like when people who encounter your music, whether it be at home or in the car, what would you hope that you can leave with them? That's a really good question. Well, um, I think there's an intangible thing. Um, uh, you use the word uplifting. Like that's what we, the word you used at the beginning of, of this um, conversation. And I think that element of hope in all things. So it doesn't mean that you're painting stuff with a rose colored brush or whatever, you know, but it's like hope in the storm, hope in the mess. So, um, so, so some songs will be very overtly positive, but then even the songs that are, that are uh, more sad um, or deal with more, more complicated subject material for me, I, I believe there is hope in this life. I believe there's hope in even the most dire circumstances. I think that's just who I am. And, and I, again, that, that comes from the faith that I hold um, and my uh, journey as a Christian person. Um, and so I want to, no matter what's a person, what a listener's walk of life, like no matter what they believe and what they're experiencing, I want them to taste that hope. Um, so that I would say is what I hope, what I want to leave people with is, is, uh, is just light in the dark. Okay. So I'm, I'm really curious. This is not a question that I had really thought of asking you until now, but you'd mentioned that you'd called your friend and when you were talking to her, you guys kind of got back to the plumb line, like back to the real reason, the purpose, the value what was the end result of that conversation? Ooh, well, you know, she, she gave me some practical advice, which spoke to, to just me kind of feeling lost in general. She, we were, we sort of took an analytical view of how I was spending my time. Mm -hmm. And actually this is, so I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, which I tend to do, but, um, you know, when we look at our lives and how we're focusing our time and the things we really want to be doing and where we feel the most purpose, if your life is not oriented in such a way that it's feeding that overarching goal in your daily life, then you're going to begin to feel lost. So, so she was like, well, are you creating work? Are you in your music? And I was like, no, I'm in front of my computer all day. When I'm not on tour, I just sit at home and while my son is at school or camp, I'm just in front of my computer and what I'm doing is admin. And so she was saying, you've got to get back to the music. You know, you have to do these other things to support a career in music um, that seem extraneous. They're not extraneous. They're critical. And if you don't have a team who's taking care of all those things for you, you have no choice but to attend to some of those things yourself. Mm -hmm. But she was saying, get back to the heart of it the thing that drives you. You know, I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing it. 
So I want to ask you before we go today, what is the next thing that you're doing? What is on the horizon for you? Oh, yeah. So, so I've been um, hosting a, a radio show uh, for the CBC. That's a new thing. Guest hosting a national jazz show called Tonic. So flexing some other muscles and learning a new skill. And, um, and again, I had to ask myself the question, well, how is this meaningful for me and how is this connecting with people? And um, I didn't necessarily know, um, but I've, because the shows have been running last week and this week, um, uh, you know, I'm getting some feedback and that, uh, you know, does help inform the process and, and um, what I'm doing. And then beyond that, I've got a new record coming out. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you, if you know my music, it's, um, kind of reflects a couple of different tra trajectories. So my background in jazz and then, um, on the last release, it was more sort of original music, kind of indie, I don't know what, something, something other than jazz, but with some jazz influence. And, and the new record I think is really, is the somewhere in between, um, the, my former projects and, um, and then the most recent one. So that'll come out in the fall, all going well. I got some, a lot of tour dates um, in Canada. And uh, that's sort of the next um, stepping stone, I guess, in, in terms of what I'm doing musically. Well, I am definitely going to put all of the links of where people can find you in the show notes. I know that uh, they can find you at lilabiali.com as well as on Instagram and on Facebook. And so I just want to say thank you because, well, I would have loved to have done this over coffee, but this is just the next, the next best thing. And to listen to you and what you've accomplished and what you've been able to move past. And I am sure there's just so much more gold that you have to share. But even what you've shared today um, was just so encouraging to me. And I'm sure to anyone else was that was listening. So Thank you so, so much. Oh my goodness, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Courage Cast. Don't you just love what Lila had to say about staying oriented to the overarching goal in our lives? Because when we do, we're really able to fulfill our purpose. And I'm so excited to share with you that since we recorded this podcast, Lila has launched a Saturday night jazz show with CBC. So to connect with her and find out more about her brand new album and her radio show, head over to thecouragecast.com. I also want to make special mention of my incredible producer, Stephen Crilly. This podcast is definitely a team effort. And if you're encouraged by listening, then we'd love to hear about it. So please go to iTunes to subscribe. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It will really help to get the podcast into the playlist of more amazing women like yourself. Until next time. Remember, you have everything you need to live bravely.